Welcome listeners to Sleep, Eat, Perform and Repeat. This is a podcast on high performance. It will be presented by myself, David Clancy, and my two co-hosts, Connor Gavin and Kieran Dunn. What we're striving to achieve here is figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why are they successful. Rate and review, share with your friends, but most importantly, enjoy. Welcome listeners to Sleep Beat Perform Repeat, episode number 53, with fashion model and actor Paul Sculfer. Today we spoke to Paul, Britain's original male supermodel, actor, husband, dad, and gentleman. Listen to Paul share his humble origins and how he started on his journey to being a globally recognized model. Paul tells us what he enjoys most about his work, places, people, things, etc. Listen to his life lesson for us and all of you. It really is special. There was so much to take away from this episode, from key themes such as consistency, embracing challenge, and the importance of self-reflection. Hi guys, welcome to Sleepy Perform Repeat. We're delighted and privileged to be joined online by Paul Sculfer. I'll pass you over to David to introduce you to Paul. So where do we start with Paul? I suppose it's fair to say he was once quoted as the original male supermodel. He starred in TV shows, film, he's had a bit of success in the boxing ring. He's a dad, he's a husband, he's a gentleman. And we're really looking forward to hearing his story and and shedding light about Paul Sculfer. So Paul, tell us a little bit about how things are for you in London at the moment and what you're up to. Hi David, currently it's a nursery morning for my daughter, so I've been taking her to nursery, which was, which was lovely. Currently it's quiet in London, we've had the show season, which is just finished, so I have a little downtime for a couple of weeks before working on a, a project called NPL, it's a cashmere company, um, and they've, they've um, successfully dressed James Bond since the 60s. So we've been doing a campaign that we filmed partly last year in the in the uh, autumn and then part in spring. Mm. It's currently the first half is currently on the James Bond uh, website, which has been which has been really good fun. That's that's sort of currently what I'm doing. T- tell us a little bit about you know for looking at your bio, Paul, right? And um, you're a humble guy, but you know you've you've had the pleasure to work with Louis Vuitton, Bentley. Aston Martin, Armani, Versace. We could be here for 25 minutes. We could be here for five hours talking about it. How, like, where did that whole, where did it kind of start? How did you get started into that? And now you have all these really illustrious, prestigious, very diverse companies that's saying, we want Paul to be our, our cover here. We want, we want Paul to be the guy that wears this or shows this off to the public. Where did that all kind of start? Well, that started a long time ago. It, it, it all literally started... Um, I got scouted actually as a model about three times on the King's Road, and um, each time I was I was not interested. I had no idea about the business. I got scouted by an agent for a company called Models One, and Davina McCall was actually their head booker at the time. Hmm. And um, I'll tell you the story short. But on Jonathan Ross a couple of years back, he asked her, "What was your worst decision of your career?" And she uh, elegantly said turning Paul Sculford down for my model agency, um, which, which was nice of her. But she did. She turned me down flat. Big <laughs> <laughs> uh, mistake. Yeah, I finally said yes, I'd be interested, and then walked away with my tail between my legs. <laughs> um, 
and, and thought nothing of it. And then my mother sent off a photograph to select model agency that was doing a competition at the time of the face of 92. And um, I was in the hospital, I had my appendix out. I was having a, sort of a rough few months and uh, thought, I'm just going to go up there anyway and see what happens. So I literally rocked up at Limelights, which was a which was a club in London. And the, we did this competition. Penny Lancaster came third as Rod Stewart's wife. And um, it was odd. I just walked into this strange place full of beautiful people. And um, and we had to walk around, talk to the talk to the guys. And then the next thing I knew, I'd won it. Hmm. And um, the, the agency kept phoning me to see if I was interested in modelling. And to be quite honest, at the time, all I wanted to have was a holiday and, and some clothes, <laughs> which they were offering. That was it. But, but they, they said, look, come, just come in and do some pictures. And at the time... I actually had bad skin. I had, I had quite bad acne. And um, Tandy, who, who, who become my mentor, is the agent that owns Select Model Management. And she said, she took me under a wing. She's like, come on, kid. We'll take to Harley Street. We'll sort your skin out. Let's, you know, I really believe in you. Let's do this, this thing. But you've got to do what I say when I say and et cetera. And she was quite funny because when I first went into the agency, she looked me up and down and was like, you are not dressing like that. I literally dragged me down to Oxford Street and changed my clothes. <laughs> um, it, it started from there with David. And I think I think to answer your question about why I'm asked, um, I don't know. I think my agent knows. But all I can say is that when I work, I've been consistent. Um, when I first started, it was a way out for me. I come from uh, an East London family and it was not small-minded, but it's pretty narrow-minded. You know, you sort of you work hard you buy nice things and you have holidays, that's it, nothing outside of it. And um, on my first job, it was for the Face magazine, I walked in and um, I saw, saw this really beautiful girl sort of sitting there in her, in her underwear uh, having a drink. And I, I think she was having a cigarette at the time. And it, it, was, at, it was Lisa Snowden, you know, yeah, she yeah. was a model on the post. And um, I kind of walked in and all I'd done before was buy and sell cars, motorbikes, box and did some building work so when I walked, walked in I was like oh I think I've arrived <laughs> and, um, and uh, at least when I actually dated for a couple of years so it was, it was, uh, it was um, lots of benefits from the job Paul what do, what do you like you get to travel a lot right you get to spend yeah. nice time with you know with females like Lisa Snowden and people like that and you get you get some nice gear from time to time and nice gigs what what do you enjoy the most about what you do uh, do you know what it's the, the business has changed Dave, a lot actually but the, my favorite thing really is is honestly is travel and you always work with really good production companies um, international and locally so you get to see what you'd never see if you went on holiday you get to see you know so, I mean it's funny sometimes if you go to Miami for a shoot, you could be working in an alleyway and you think, why the hell have we come to Miami? But it's mostly the people, the places. You get to be creative. You're working with creative, like-minded people. Um, you know, you, can, you sometimes get to wear, you know, you can wear a 599 T-shirt or sometimes you'll get to wear a 15,000 pounds Laura Piano, you know, cashmere or alpaca jacket. It's basically that it's the people, places, and things that I really like. You're going to FedEx one of those over to us tomorrow, are you? Oh, didn't you receive it? <laughs> We're wearing it now. <laughs> it must be, must be just slow coming across the water there, Paul. That's Sorry all. about that. Yeah, it must be bad weather. 
Paul, is it right that when you were younger, quite at, or quite soon after the face of 92, you, you moved to Europe? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I, I, I kind of sat down with my agent, Tandy, and I really took this as an opportunity in life because um, I left school the minute I was 16. I, I, I ran out the gate. And, um, you know, I asked, her, I asked some questions. I asked, like, how do you, be, A, how do you become really successful in this business? Is there such a thing as longevity? Because everyone's telling me that the girls work from, at the time, it was sort of 18 to 24, maybe 26 if they're lucky. Yeah. And the guys were sort of, at that point, sort of 22, maybe maybe 30. In the 80s, it was a lot older, and it's been getting younger and younger since. Mm-hmm. And we sat down and we said, look, I, she said, what do you want? Because um, most people just want to be famous for five minutes or have their... Name and I said I want this to be my job. I want this to be my business, and I want to live, learn everything about it and how to do it. And we came up with a plan that okay, who's going for longevity, not short hits of money, which you could do at the time. And the combination really of turning some turning um, just about the right amount, which was which is hard to gauge at the time, jobs so that you're not overexposed, but also to keep enough advertising jobs, catalogue jobs, which were money and bread and butter, as well as catwalk, which doesn't pay much, and, 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 and editorial, which really doesn't pay much. So it's trying to combine everything you can do across the board, which was, which was quite difficult to do. And it was, it was um, financially very unrewarding for the first sort of 18 months. Yeah, definitely. That's quite, quite difficult. You're quite young to move off to Europe and chase this dream. Um, yeah, so, so part of the plan. Sorry, so, so, you're right. So, so part of the plan was basically to go straight to Milan because Milan at the time was like the university of modelling. So all the new upstart photographers would be there, all the new stylists would be there, and of course you had the big fashion houses like uh, Armani, Ferrari, Valentino, Versace, etc., etc. So I went there as my first stop, and I stayed there for like three or four months and lived in a really awful. I think I was paying like twelve pounds a night for this awful place <laughs> I mean it was I mean it was awful it was right next to the Duomo oh yeah um, nice That's so when you came out it looked nice but it was it was probably the worst place I ever stayed and then when I started to make a little bit of money I remember doing the shows and a, a little campaign for Benetton and, and uh, Mr. Armani at the time um, I worked with him doing shows and fittings and stuff I, I, I met these two American guys and we moved into a, a better hostel and then into a pensione, which was um, for where my first place was posh. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, then I, then I went from Paris back to there. And then I just started to get traction. And I realized shortly that if you sit in one place, nothing happens. Hmm. You know, so, so if work, if, if I didn't see any work coming in for a couple of weeks in Milan, I'd get the train or I'd fly to Paris. I'd just walk around. Um, castings to see people doing auditions and castings and then I'd go to Athens and I'd come back mm. then I'd go to Germany so I literally I would imagine that I didn't stay somewhere for more than two months at a time that's very really interesting and what's through all this experience and all these amazing cities that you visited and all these people that you've met can can you what's what's one of the most interesting gigs that you've done or an event that you really really enjoyed and you kind of think back to it maybe from time to time I'm sure it's difficult because there's been so many and it's probably hard to kind of think back to a couple but is there 
are, are there one or two maybe meaningful moments or events that you can kind of say that was special for me that really helped put me onto this path? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Um, I do lean back on the couch sometimes with a tea and smile, and Mrs. wonders what I'm up to. Um, <laughs> there's definitely been a lot, and it would be hard to choose um, any particular one for particular reasons, but a few come to mind. I did a, um, a fantastic commercial for the Beer Diamonds years ago. In We went to a place called Escal, which is 30 kilometers west in Patagonia of Chile, and um, we kind of got snowed in. It, uh, the advertising agency, the guy saw a tree in National Geographic and said, that's where we need to shoot. <laughs> wow. So we went to this tree and we needed the, uh, the local army to help us. And we, Eskeld is an amazing town that's basically, a, it's a jail, a hotel, a casino, a gas station where you can buy any guns and things you want, um, a Patagonia shop hmm. and a couple of restaurants. That's it. And it's it's literally in the middle of nowhere, and um, it was an it was an incredible job because it, most of the guys, you know, the first night we spent the night in a casino, we were snowed in, we went out to eat, that's it. And the next day we met um, the production company and our drivers, and uh, you kind of was like, who who wants who? And there was a guy there who had an old pickup truck, and everyone else had an SUV, and I thought he looks interesting, so I asked him to be uh, my driver. And he asked me what I wanted to do, and, and I just he said, what do you like to do? I said, I love motorbikes, I love cars, I like horses, I like whatever. And it turns out that this guy, his father was the mayor of the town. Wow. And uh, he's like, well, let's just, you know, I have some log cabins, and, and we own most of the land, and we can do what we want. So he said, do you have a motorbike license? So I said, I don't have with me. So he said, well, come with me. We went to see, we went to the mayor's office, took a picture, Gave me a gave me a motorbike license, <laughs> and uh, and we went off. You know, me and him went off for four or five days on dirt bikes and quad bikes, and we went shooting just just targets and things and horse riding, and it was absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Something I'd never experienced before. I mean, that was one of the one one of the best jobs I think I've had in respect of relocation and sort of going off track. I mean, there's been so many. Another one I did, which was brilliant, was I did a Levi campaign in the late 90s. And um, we had to, I had to sort of, we, 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 we went for the audition and they were at Battersea and they said, right, here's a swimming pool, dive in with your clothes on and see basically how long you can be underwater looking comfortable. <laughs> and um, I was like, okay, so I, I, I just, you know, in my 20s, I kind of listened to, you know, the, the SAS thing, who dares win. So I was like, sod it. I didn't even change. I just went in the pool and um, and held my breath. I think I was, I, I was a minute and I think just between a minute and, uh, and a minute and a half. And um, yeah, it was good actually. And they're like, fine, you know, great. You got the job. And we went to Walter, which has sea tanks. And we filmed over there. And, and on, on the first day, the idea was I'm a little, uh, a little fishing boat. And I get knocked over and, you know, go underwater. The mermaids come and try and rip my jeans off. <laughs> and uh, they're strict to fit. So um, the first day we had two prop engines from an aeroplane and we had six skips full of water. And the idea was that, uh, that they fired up the engines, they put smoke on there and they dropped the skips. <laughs> when they said action, um, six skips of water hit me so hard that I disappeared and so did the boat. <laughs> 
so uh, they had to kind of reset the whole thing and, and tone it down a bit. But it was a really good job. We filmed it for a week in in the in the tanks for the mermaid. Mermaid was um, you know was hilarious and fun. So that was a good job. What, what you've said there is really echoed. Where when myself and Kiran speak to to people that have really achieved and and sustained consistent success over a long period of time, it's very hard for the for the individual to sometimes take a moment to breathe, reflect and look back on an achievement and say, geez, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. I met some great people. That was a cool place. And most often when we've spoken to maybe an athlete, as an example, they've only come to that realization when they've retired or when they've had a significant injury and they've gone, oh, geez, that was a special moment in time that really was fun, you know? So it's nice to hear. It's refreshing to hear you kind of have those moments when you're sitting on the sofa and you're, you're kind of spacing out with a cup of tea, but just maybe thinking sometimes of the cool stuff you've done and the cool places you've seen and the cool people you've met. It's nice and refreshing for us to hear. Yeah, it's good. You know what? It's, it's, um, I have to do that because I, I am very lucky and I think, you know, I've had a lot of adversity in my life and, and lots of things go on and sometimes I forget to, I forget what I've done. And, and I kind of look at myself as a very sort of normal person, and I like to go around the world as a normal person. Um, and, and, and when I talk to friends in the industry and things pop up online or whatever, I think, oh, my God, I did that. <laughs> no. So it's, uh, it is nice to reflect on. I heard before, Paul, you mentioned that, like, there's sort of misconceptions in the industry as well that you don't just rock up to an agency, you said before, and you get work straight away. You sort of need three to four years early on in your career where you're working very hard to build anything. Do you think there was anything that most contributed to you being a success? Was it, say, your consistency that you mentioned earlier, a bit of resilience, or was there anything, one thing that you can say, because I have that in my traits or my personality, I think I may have done so well? It's a, it's a good question. You know, if you ask my agent, she, when I first started, there was actually a model called Albert, who was before me, a French guy who had the most amazing face, and he was a mixture of sort of Paul Newman, Steve McQueen. Oh, well, fair enough. Yeah. And David had this tradi- <laughs> traditional look. Yeah, and he did a he had a he had a continuing fragrance, which was an Armani fragrance. That everyone saw it was, it was the longest running one for about ten years. And um, unfortunately, I worked with Albert, and then I think about a year later, he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was basically she sold me on my looks on on Albert, and he's the new Albert, and he's gonna you know sort of take take the ropes as it were but I think personally it was a desire to do well it was my chance in life to to discover the planet to discover what life's about outside of <clears throat> where I'm from from East London you know I, I never traveled much as a kid we went to Spain twice yeah. And I wanted to learn my opinion, my view, my experience, because whatever I've read and you hear people's views and opinions, I think it's really important to have your own experience. Um, and it really was basically, you know, I, I really had drive to be like, you know, it's not about, it's about how much can I do? What's the quality can I do? Um, you know, I was very fit because I, I, I've always been an athlete and, and um, you know, I could still pretty much eat what I wanted in my twenties, but I would I would train hard, not for anyone else. I trained hard because I had this thing when we were younger that uh, sometimes when I was in the seventies when I was younger that we didn't have money, 
and and I would walk everywhere, run everywhere, and I just loved having my own sort of body as as a as a, as a vehicle. And I think it was the desire for that, really, the nourishment I got from people, places, things, and experience that was my drive. And I knew on a job, I, uh, someone told me early on that you know, no one no one likes a diva. Okay, every, you know, every five minutes is a diva, and it's fun and exciting, but you won't get rebooked. So I'd always turn up early or on time, and and leave leave later. So as soon as we finish the shoot, I wouldn't run off. I'd, I'd say to anyone in hand, do you want a cup of tea or what, what we're doing, and just try and mix in. And um, and I think that's what that's what it was. And and, and back in they they do it now, but back when there was a lot more catalogs around, um, I would get in this weird flow with the photographer and almost know what he's doing. And I have this. My wife makes me laugh because she thinks she can drop me anywhere on the planet and I'll find my way home. <laughs> I kind of, I, I sort of see, I sort of see things in different dimensions. So if I'm doing a photo shoot, I will flip myself into the photographer's position to see what he's seeing mm-hmm. and move around with him. And kind of, it's hard to explain, but just kind of get into the same energy field as him and flow and really sort of work with that person and know what they want. And I'll ask questions like, "What do you see for this shoot? What is your?" sort of through line what's your desire to get out of the job and i'll cater towards that that's brilliant you also mentioned before that you need to have a personality in the in the industry i think that's coming through on this podcast anyway so well yeah i've been working on it this morning because it hasn't existed much before (laughs) 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 paul if you if you could give us um you know we've got another couple questions and we're done here but if you could give us a life lesson something that you've learned from from all your travels and all the people you've met, what's something that you could say, you know, Kiran, David, take take this to lean on and learn from moving forward because this has been very important and meaningful for me in my life thus far. What would that lesson be? Well, there's probably so many different answers I could give, but I, I think that to know really that, to try not to, to, you know, I always say take my business seriously, but don't take myself seriously. And try not to take things too personal because everyone has stuff going on. Everyone has their own agenda, their own drive, you know, things going on. So I think, to be honest, um, what works for me now is just to to have a goal, set a goal, work towards it for the best ability, but, but drop out of the outcome. And if you, if you had, say, you know, 30 years from now, right, you can look back on these 30 years and say, that's what I worked on for that part of my career. What's kind of the legacy you're hoping to leave with a lot of people? You know, you're, you've got a young family there now, so that's, that's obviously very important. That's going to probably impact a little bit on your career. You're trying to strike that balance. What's the legacy you'd like to leave? Yeah, I'm trying to get my daughter in the shoots. <laughs> Give me a little bit of longevity. <laughs> I like it. Um, well, to be honest, to me, you know, I think my, my, my 20s would, would go get, I, I, I hit a wall in my early 30s and, and uh, changed the way I looked at things and changed my life around. I really desire to be a good dad, a good father, the best I could be. And I don't mean in a cheesy way to just to say it, but I generally do. I sit down with my daughter and I, 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 I give her the time when we're together that she nourishes me, I think, more than I nourish her, you know. But my legacy would really be a good dad, a good family man, and... Um, you know, I run a little charity called Stride Foundation UK, and we help people to go into treatment for addiction problems, anxiety, and et cetera, et cetera. And just the work that I do 
for that, which is mostly behind the scenes and quietly done, just to just to just to really help these guys and 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 um, the legacy really would be to know that you can to know that you can come over that adversity of addiction and anxiety and whatever in, in the way we sort of of work it. So really being an honest guy, you know. I love it, Paul. Look, we we ask every single person that comes on this podcast uh, pretty much the last question, and you've really told us such an amazing story of. You've shared vulnerability there. You've talked about consistency, pushing, challenging yourself, um, traveling at such a young age, longevity, sustained success, all these sort of things. I think it's very much fair to say you've been high performing for a long time and doing so with your family now, which is great to see. So what does high performance mean to you, Paul? The engine in my car, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, High performance, it's really when... I think for me, when when you when you set a goal, whether it's something in the family home, or I set daily goals rather than like you know to, to win over the world. But high performance to me is when you're focused on what you're doing, but you're you're present and aware, but you're driven. So you're kind of in in the flow, um, if if that makes sense. So if I, for example, if I'm training, I'll I'll, I'll know that I'm at the gym for an hour or an hour and a half, and I will focus on what I'm doing at that time do the best I can do at that time. Same with my family. And if my work, I will be tuned into what's going on and I'll go there to sort of understand that I'm part of the cog and be the best I can be for that. So that, that's sort of high performance for me. Fantastic answer, Paul. Great answer, yeah. Paul Sculfer, thank you very much for coming on Sleepy Perform Repeat. And Stephen Kiran really enjoyed it. You gave some wonderful answers. Thanks for telling us some great stories. Have a lovely day. Talk to you soon. Thank you, gentlemen. Take care.